0: But in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Son. Now, we're not going to look at this whole section. And actually, there's um, 11 points, blessings that you can take from this section. We're only going to look at, you know, probably four of them. I'll give you the whole list. So maybe around uh, this evening and around tomorrow on the Christmas tree, maybe you can just discuss some of these other gifts that the presence of Christ brings into our lives. But here in this section, we have a description of God's promised blessing for the nation of Israel and to all people. But it's addressed to the nation of Israel. Isaiah the prophet is writing. And this blessing is experienced in his son, the promised blessings. They all are going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know that this passage is a passage about him, because in Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Matthew quotes from this passage, and he applies it to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, the timing of the promised blessing, when are these blessings going to come? Well, part of them have already been realized. Part of them have already been experienced, and you know them well, and we just sang of them. But there's some physical aspects of the blessings that the Messiah brings that will happen at his second coming. And we also sang of those tonight. But I want to begin by just reading this passage and then beginning to consider a few of them. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when he first lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward more heavily oppressed her, By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, you can count on this stuff happening. This is going to happen. The God of the armies of heaven is going to make certain that these promises, above all promises, are fulfilled. His zeal is going to make certain of that. Isaiah is speaking of the oppression and darkness that the northern region of Israel suffered under the hand of the Assyrians. That was an empire that existed through the 700 BC or so. They invaded the land of Israel in 734 and then again in 732 BC. And when they came, they made life miserable for everyone. The Assyrians were known to be some of the worst people to ever fall into the hands of. You didn't want to fall into their hands because they were wicked, they were mean, and they were going to make their point. But what we read here is that there's, in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, that this is the place where it's taken place. In Galilee of the Gentiles, it says. And the region spoken of is um, you've heard of the Sea of Galilee, right? And the following map kind of gives you an idea. So that, that map is taking a center picture there of the Sea of Galilee. And it's those red uh, areas. To, and you realize you can't probably read what's on there. But that's, that's Naphtali. That's Zebulun. And you have the Sea of Galilee. It's the northern part of Israel. And that is a region that is being referred to. When Assyria came from the east, they came from the northeast. So they came from the east, and they arrived up in the north of Israel, which is where the map is. And they then would drop it down. And it was in this region of Zebulun and Naphtali that was hit so hard. And it's in the area of Galilee. Now what's significant about this is, this is where Jesus sets up his headquarters. For ministering, this is the place where he goes. In Second Kings fifteen twenty nine, it speaks of the, the the Assyrian king that actually came in, and um, you can take some time and read that on your own. But when they came in, it led to, as we read there in the following verses, oppression and hardship. It was a judgment of God for their rebellion, for their idolatry, for oppressing the poor, for afflicting the widow, for taking advantage of the orphan, for worshiping false gods and committing idolatry. The Lord brought this judgment of the Assyrians in upon the nation of Israel. But there's a promise that's being given to them who is going to suffer in this way, who has suffered in this way. And that is there's going to come a time when all of this will be lifted. The bondage and darkness was a literal bondage and darkness that they experienced. Many of them were carted away to Nineveh and the likes of other cities of their uh, empire. But in Matthew 4, verses 13 through 16, we read this. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by this sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. So he's talking and he's giving them a promise. You guys have experienced hardship. When Assyria came in, They made things difficult and actually it was the northern tribes of Israel that often fell first because Babylon or the Persians or the Assyrians, when they would come their way, they would come that route and they would drop down. And so they often were the first abused and most fiercely abused. Of the areas. And so there is a promise, but this isn't going to go on forever. And here's the amazing thing God gives them that promise of mercy and grace and favor that's going to come upon them, even though they were still in a time of rebellion. Even though they had not fully repented, even though they hadn't come to the place where they have acknowledged the Lord as they ought to have, and yet he still promises and looks forward to a time of peace and blessing. Don't you love that kind of mercy and grace about God? Is that even when we're in that place of rebellion, even when we're in that place of resisting him and what he wants to do, the Lord's heart, the Lord's plan is, I want to bless you. And if you will, if you allow me, I will bring blessing into your life. Well, when the light dawns, when the light of Jesus Christ dawns in this area of Galilee, what does it bring? And as we look at what it brings to the nation of Israel, we get a good picture of what he desires to bring into our own lives, even here in Lynchburg, Virginia. So there in verse 2, the first blessing that we see is that the people who are in darkness have seen a great light. Now, we love lights, don't we? I mean, look around. You know, this time of year as you get out there, there's lights everywhere. People put up all kinds of lights. My wife wished I would put up lights. But that's another story. And so, um, you know, but you look around and there's lights everywhere. People have lights on their sweaters. Anybody have lights on their sweater tonight? Anybody? anybody nobody did that? Okay. So, but you look around and, and we love light. And and, and not just colored, beautiful lights at Christmas time, but even, even light upon a situation. Light when there's darkness. It's such a relief to be able to have it come on and you can see what's going on. It can bring comfort. It can bring the it can bring opportunity when there is light. And Jesus comes and he is light. He brings truth. He reveals that which is dark. And for many people, spiritually speaking, they are in darkness. But the Lord wants to bring light. Luke 1, verses 78 through 79 says, Through the tender mercy of God, which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's what Jesus does. He comes and he brings light to a darkened world that doesn't know how to find their way to God. They don't know how to come and, and make things right. So Jesus came and he brings light to the world. In John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light. You don't have to look anywhere else. If you want to have insight, if you want to have revelation, if you want to know about the difficulties that exist in this world and how to overcome them, how to breach, how to repair the breach that exists between you and the Lord, then come to me. I am the light. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And this is what the Lord wants for you. This is what he wants for me, and this is what he wants for all people. But you know, when Jesus came and he made these announcements that I am the light of the world, what did Israel do with Jesus, who was the light? They snuffed him out. They rejected him. They're like, We don't want your light. And, and actually, we find this spoken of in John chapter 1, um, verses 5 through 10. It says, And the light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Again, that reference to Jesus. And through him might believe. He, John, was not the light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And so it's this, this lack of relationship, this distance that exists between the world and the Lord that caused the Father to send His Son to bring light, that we might have a relationship with Him. If you have not come to Jesus, we would encourage you, come to Jesus. Come, allow His light to wash over your life, to find the comfort and the peace and the joy all of these things, the celebration that's you know, found so often around physical light. But it's all just a metaphor of the light and revelation and celebration and joy that can be found in Jesus Christ. And that light never goes out. And you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> it's free of charge to you and to me and to the world. And so if you've not come, come to the light. This is why he came into the world. Was to bring you into a relationship with the Father that you might know him. What's keeping you from having the light of Jesus Christ shine upon your life? Don't allow anything to get in the way. The second thing that we see there in verse 3 is that the Messiah, this one who dawned and came into the region of Galilee, he brought joy. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So he he picks two things from life. A farmer who has a bumper crop and a soldier who has victory on the battlefield. And those are two things that would cause there to be great joy. And he says this is what he's coming to do, is to bring joy to your life. He's not coming to bring a heavy legalism or a condemnation he didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world, right? And, and so, the, yet the enemy and so many represent the faith in Jesus Christ as something that's oppressive, something that's going to be hard and heavy and, and full of sadness and, you know, having, you know, you're a Christian, you shouldn't be joyful. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. There should be all kinds of joy. There should be all kinds of celebration, and this is, this is the Lord's heart for you, is that you would walk in the fullness of joy. And even though the nation was going to reject this light and going to reject this joy, there were still individuals within that nation and then, of course, out unto the rest of the world that did receive the light of Jesus Christ and it brought joy to them. One day, the nation of Israel will fully recognize Jesus. At his second coming. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jesus, who came the first time and that we're celebrating that coming tonight, he has promised that he is coming back again. And when he comes back again, the nation of Israel at this time, they will recognize him and they will have that light and they will have that joy. But this is what the angel even addressed when they were making the announcement of the birth of Jesus. On that Christmas night, Luke 2, 10, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And we are part of the all. We are those people and this is the heart and this is the desire. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, through the teaching of Jesus, through the prophecy of angels, the statement is the Lord wants you to know the joy of the Lord. He wants you to have this overflowing. It's his great desire that you walk in the fullness of joy. John fifteen eleven says these things... Jesus speaking, I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I like that he adds that last phrase, that it would be full. This is God's desire. He's spoken to us. And if we would meditate upon the salvation that has come to us and we would allow that to have its proper impact upon our life, we would walk in the fullness of joy. David that King David knew this to be true. In Psalm 4, 6-8, he says, um, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You've put gladness in my heart more than in the seasons that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Where does the fullness of joy come from? And people are saying, where are we going to find it? Where is the goodness? Where are the things that make life full and rich? And, and David responds and says, Oh Lord, lift up your countenance upon us. I've seen that you know the things go well in the farm. And I've seen things go well in the vineyard. But there's one thing that actually is greater than all of that. And that's the joy you put in my heart, Lord. And that's what Jesus does. When we come... And I would just say to us as believers is, are we walking in the joy of the Lord? There is. Would you agree with me? There is no deficiency in Jesus Christ or the promises that he has made. The deficiency lies within us and how we come and we embrace it. We are to walk in the joy of the Lord. It is a choice that we make to walk in the joy of the Lord and to walk in the fullness. But it is completely wrapped up In the person of Jesus Christ. Just as this passage Isaiah 9 talks about, the light is going to come. A person is going to come. And when he comes, he will bring the joy. And when we get our eyes off of the he, that's when we miss out on the fullness of joy that the Lord has promised. And that even David said he knew of. How about Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17-18, through 18, which teaches us that the joy of the Lord is not subject to the happenings of life. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. That's terrible news for people living in an ag- uh, agrarian culture. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, And there be no herd in the stalls, bad news for a farmer. What does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of, and here's the key, my salvation. You have enough, believer, and if you would come to the Lord, you would have enough as well in salvation alone to give you all the joy that you have need of. And here's the reality. The more we chase after joy and fulfillment and other things, the less we have. Are the rich nations of this world more joyful and more at peace than the poor nations of this world? We know the answer. No. We're not. And so what is it? It's not found in stuff. It's not to say that they know the joy of the Lord, but it's not in finding and accumulating stuff. It is found in a relationship With the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 4 of chapter 9, we come to the third blessing that the Lord brings. He brings freedom. He brings light. He brings joy. He brings freedom. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. So the picture again of the Assyrians that have them under oppression. The rod of his oppressor. As in the day of Midian. Think of Gideon who delivered Israel from the Midianites. And then he talks about a time when, when war and battle will come to an end and that there won't be a need to fight any longer. The sandals and the, from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. The idea is there's no more reason to go out and fight a war. Can you, can you imagine a world that doesn't have to fight? Could you imagine a world where every penny and shekel and yin that's put towards implements of war is suddenly turned into implements of agriculture. And feeding. And that's what's going to happen when the Lord returns. And he breaks off the yoke of the Antichrist and all nations that there will come a time when the Lord returns to this earth and he will rule for a thousand years. And when he does, it's going to bring freedom, a physical freedom. But you know, there's also a spiritual freedom that's in view here. And I can say that confidently because in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is exactly what the prophet said he would do, isn't it? That he would liberate, that he would set free, that he would break the yoke of bondage. And although in our... um, world today in America, people scoff and they laugh at the idea of there being a, a Satan, a deceiver, one that's the enemy of your soul, that is a real person and not just some kind of concept or some metaphor, but a real identity person who has a, an army of those that follow him to corrupt and to oppress. And we laugh at it while being chained and being held captive. And not being set free to go and live life to its fullest. But he is real and he does exist. And when Jesus came the first time, he said, I'm here to liberate. I'm here to set people free. Because what is the desire of Satan? It is to grab and to hold. To hold in bondage. And yet, Jesus came. When he, that little baby was being born. I mean, that's a tender, wonderful, uh, important story for us to read in Scripture. But that little baby was one that was going to liberate. That little baby is one that was going to bring light to the world. That little baby is the one in whom the joy of the world would rest. And he's capable. He's capable to fulfill all of that. The great destructive controlling influence of Satan over people's lives to ruin them and cause them to run them into the ground. Jesus says, I've come to liberate that person. I've come to separate that, set free that person. Because when Jesus died on the cross and he went into the grave and then came up, when he came up out of that grave and rose from the dead on that Easter morning, he broke the power of sin and death. And now we are free to walk in that. You have a license in Christ Jesus to be free. Use your license. Use the license. Now, you may have a license to drive your car. But maybe you don't drive your car. Well, you still have the license, but you're not driving. Maybe good medical reasons why you're not doing that. But you have a license to walk in freedom. Use that license that has come from Jesus himself. And then you don't have to walk in oppression and the control of sin any longer. What a beautiful thing this is that he has offered to us. He has come to bring light. He has come to bring joy. He has come to bring freedom. And lastly, where we're going to look at tonight, he has brought a son. He's brought a son. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There in verse six. And here's the, the interesting thing we have a declaration of a child being born, humanity, and also a declaration of deity a son is given. Whose son? The Son of God. And the birth of Jesus Christ on that Christmas night, laid in the manger, this little baby that was born to Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling cloths, he was both fully man and fully God. It's called, theologians call this the hypostatic union. That is, that the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus came together in such a beautiful and perfect and wonderful way that neither humanity nor divinity was lessened or diminished, but became the God-man. And this is the mystery of godliness. That little baby that was a creator of the universe. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine the council of heaven and saying, hey, you're going to go to earth and you're going to be born... A baby. You're not going to come as a full-grown man. You're not just going to come walking out of the wilderness and appear on the scene. You're going to be born as a baby. The creator of the universe. To us, a son is given. Wrapped in frail humanity. What an amazing story this is. Why would the council of heaven make such a decision? Well, we're told... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Heaven took the chance knowing what the results would be because the Father loves you. And he is completely against the idea that you would pass from this life without having the light that allows you to have a relationship restored with him. And so he went after you, and he sent his son. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. As you go through this passage, you can continue to contemplate and consider them. I'm just going to give them to you quickly. You can write them down. And um, we went through four of them. I'm going to give you um, 11 of them all together. In verse 6, and the government will be upon his shoulder, that is, you're going to bring a godly ruler. Anybody up for a godly ruler over planet Earth? Anybody? Yes. Okay. doesn't matter what animal you like. You are in for a godly ruler. Um, still in verse 6. And it says he, his name will be called Wonderful. And the best way to understand that is one who does wonders. He's, he, he's a God of power. He's, he's going to be one that's going to... Do the amazing. And, of course, when Jesus came, he did that. When he comes the second time, he will be that godly ruler over this earth. Still in verse 6, he brings counsel. You can go straight to Jesus Christ. And you can ask him for counsel in your life. You have a Bible, and you can ask him, how is it I should deal with this? Mighty God, still in verse 6. And we talked about this. Brings God. I mean, this this incarnation brings God to the earth. Everlasting Father. Don't confuse this with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the, not the Trinity we're talking about. Think of the author of eternity or the father of eternity. Remember in the New Testament when it says Satan is the father of lies? He's the one that brings lies. He's the one that makes lies. He's the author of lies. Well, Jesus, he is The author of all things. He's everlasting father. He brings all things from him. Um, Number 10. He's a prince of peace. Talked a little bit about this as we were talking about joy, but this is who Jesus is. He brings peace to people's life. He unites God and man together. And lastly, he brings an eternal reign. In verse 7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And it talks about that time that he will return. So what a joy. We are used to this idea here at Christmas time of exchanging gifts. Now, maybe some of you don't exchange gifts, but I I would imagine most of you in here exchange gifts. And that's a a fun time. That's a wonderful time. When you're a kid, it's like, that's about the only thing you can think of. You know, it's like, when is that guy going to shut up so we can get home? You know? That's what they're thinking. But where do we get this idea of gift giving? Why does gift giving exist around Christmas? Because the first Christmas was all about the gift of life. And we picked up on it. Somewhere along the way, people were like, well, look, the Father gave gifts. And there was a response of joy for the gifts that we've been given. And you, in turn, you give gifts to We give gifts to one another. And it's just its that. Now, I mean, if we could only just pause long enough as a country to realize where all of this gift giving comes from. But we do this because that's what happened at the first Christmas. And here are the blessings. Here's 11 blessings. We talked about four of them. But there's 11 for you to contemplate and to think upon. How great it is to be loved by the Lord and to be given the gift of the person, Jesus Christ. You don't need anything else. I don't need anything else. He is enough. And we need to learn to walk in the fullness and the riches that he brings to us. Experience for yourself what God has intended for you to walk in. The joy and the peace and the freedom. Go find it in Christ Jesus. You're not going to have to look hard because he's already brought it. If you will call out to him... He will meet you where you are, and you will know that the Lord is true to his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the joy that comes in your son, Jesus Christ, for the freedom that comes. Lord, we are grateful for the light that shines upon our path that tells us in this crazy mixed-up world with so many thoughts and so many isms. Lord, your light tells us exactly what you want from us. So, Lord, we worship you tonight. We thank you for the light of Christmas. We thank you for the gift of Christmas. And I would just want to encourage you, if you are here, and maybe you know all of this to be true, and yet it seems elusive to you tonight, is to remember there is no deficiency in the gift of Jesus. There's nothing short in him. And we all are growing, and we're all learning how to walk in the fullness that he has. But I just want you to know tonight, you don't have to go look anywhere else, believer. It is all in Jesus Christ. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in this beautiful, amazing account of the life of Jesus Christ. So return to him with all your heart. And allow the joy of your salvation to be enough. That's enough right there. If you're not a believer, then we would encourage you to come to him and experience that first Christmas gift that's still being given every day of every year since Christ first came. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Amen.